The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. Awesome. Well, uh, we are in the, the final week of our, our series on Isaiah. Uh, we've been kind of journeying through this book of Isaiah, and we, we've heard him speak judgment, and we've heard him speak hope to the people of the Old Testament, and I think that's also hopefully been spoken to us as well as we've, we've dug through this. And, and next week, uh, we're entering into Advent. We'll be in a new series called All Things New, in which we're going to look at how uh, Jesus coming makes all things new. What does that look like? What does that actually mean? And so we'll spend a lot of time unpacking that. By the way, side note, uh, we're going to switch up the decor for Advent. Carrie Carey's been working hard the last couple weeks, coming up with some, some new stuff. So uh, it's a, a steampunk Christmas. If you don't know what that is, just come next week. It's incredible, okay? Lots of clocks and gears and craziness. And so just get excited. It's going to be awesome. So anyways, side note. All right, uh, so, but we're in Isaiah right now. We're not, we don't have that stuff up yet. We're in Isaiah, and uh, we're exploring the second to last chapter of this book. There's 66 chapters in Isaiah. We're in the, the second to last chapter. And so as we get into it, just to kind of frame our, our thoughts this morning, and we got Thanksgiving coming up this week, I want you guys to just take a minute and, uh, and talk about this question with the people near you, okay? Here's the question. Uh, what are you most looking forward to this Thanksgiving? Okay, so talk to someone near you, 30 seconds, 45 seconds. What are you most looking forward to this Thanksgiving? Go. All right, all right, all right. We'll wrap it up. Uh, hopefully, you made it through. Uh, can I can I hear some responses? Anyone willing to share what they're most looking forward to? You can share. Yes, family. All right, excellent, excellent. What else we got? Food. All right, Brooke. There you go. Last name isn't hunger for nothing, right? Okay. I'm sure that joke's never been made. All right. Um, Food, yes. Sleep. Sleep. Oh, a little rest. Love it. Love it. The old turkey nap. I love that. Um, very good. Anyone else? Family, food, sleep? Road trip. Road trip. Road trip. Awesome. Football. Nice. Excellent. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I was biting my tongue. Uh, I know. Grant could tell. All right. No comments about cowboys. Um, so anyways, now, so, so I don't know if you noticed this. I don't know what all your conversations were, but... Those are like really basic things, right? Really simple pleasures, family, food, rest, road trips, football. Like these are the sort of things that you have like literally every day. Like you probably watch football every day if you wanted to. You got family around you every day. And if they're not right next to you, you can at least give them a call. You can eat food every single day, right? So what makes Thanksgiving so special? Like why is that such a big deal? Why are we so excited about that on this one particular day? I think it's because of this, because it's on this day that, that we really celebrate these simple things. It's this day that, that we give thanks for them, right? And in other words, we magnify them. They get bigger. Family comes more and more into focus, right? Food is, is bigger and in abundance, and we spend more time creating it. It's like we take the ordinary and we magnify and celebrate it. That's what we do on Thanksgiving. We celebrate the ordinary gifts that God gives us every day. And so this isn't actually a bad way to think about our text for today. I don't know if you caught it, but Isaiah 65, Isaiah is talking about a day when God is going to make everything right. 
He's make the new heavens and the new earth. And the picture Isaiah paints in this text is, is, is one in which the ordinary things like work and home and family and food, they're all celebrated. They're all magnified in this text. It's a, it's a picture of how God is going to one day redeem the ordinary in this life in such a way that it'll be like Thanksgiving every day. Best Thanksgiving ever, every day. And so what we see in this text is, is two things. I know, not three, two. Uh, two truths about our future hope that shape our present. First of all, we see that God is a materialist. God is a materialist. And secondly, because of that, we can live intentionally right now. God is a materialist. We can live intentionally right now. Here we go. God is a materialist. Look with me at the uh, first verse in our text for today, verse 17. It says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. All right, so there's a lot going on in this text, right? God's saying, I'm going to create a new heavens, a new earth. The former things are not going to be remembered. So what does that mean? What does it mean that he's creating a new heavens and a new earth? Well, if, if we were to, to read it in the original, the original readers would have picked up on a context clue right away. And here's what I mean. In uh, Genesis chapter 1, uh, God creates the world and, and he takes seven days to do it, six days to do the creation, and then on the seventh day, he rests, right? And then also in Genesis chapter 1, God says that what he makes is good, and he says it seven times, okay? So in the creation narrative, there's this theme of seven again and again. And so here we come to this text, and, and it says, uh, I create new heavens and new earth. So Isaiah's talking about, or God's talking about how he's going to create something again. Creation comes up again. And in English, it's 22 words, counted it myself. In the Hebrew, uh, it's seven. Seven words. It says the exact same thing, but he does it in only seven words. And so what Isaiah is trying to do is to his original hearers, they would have said that, and their mind would have triggered back to this. They would have said, oh, this is like the original creation. This is like the, the good creation that, that God made. And so what's Isaiah doing here? He's saying the new creation is going to come from the old. That God's not just wiping things out. No, no, no. The new creation is coming from the old, the original good creation. In the midst of that, he's doing something new. And what's the new thing he's doing? We see here he's not remembering the former things. And what's that mean? That means the former things, a phrase that's used in uh, prophetic literature, uh, when, when God doesn't remember the former things, it means he's moving his people past some of the darkness and the brokenness and the sin that they've engaged in. He's, he's moving them past that and saying, we're done with that stuff. We're moving on to something new. And so what God says here in verse 17 is that the original creation is going to be made new. And that the sin and the darkness and the brokenness that is such a part of life right now, that we see all around us right now, he says that's going to be wiped out. It's going to be gone. Like we're not even going to be, remember it. It'll be like it didn't even happen. And he describes what that's, what that's going to be like in verses 18 through 20. Listen to these words. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. Jerusalem, in this text, is, is, stands it's like a representative, a microcosm of the world. Okay, So he says, Jerusalem, the world to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. And so what does this text say? It says in this new heavens and new earth, this new creation that God's doing, 
that everything's going to be great. There's going to be joy. There's going to be gladness. I don't know if you picked up that, the last verse there, uh, that the, the vulnerable of society, the, the old and the young, they're, they're not going to be exploited, but they're going to live full lives and happy lives, and all things are going to be good. In other words, God is going to restore Eden. He's going to restore paradise. And so put it another way, the world right now, we could say, is a turkey sandwich. Okay? The world Isaiah is describing, Isaiah 65, Thanksgiving turkey, baby, right? That's what it is, Thanksgiving turkey. All the good parts of creation magnified, all the bad parts taken away. Now realize the importance, realize the importance of this. This text is saying God is a materialist. Here's what I mean by that. God is invested in this world. In the material world, in physical things, not just abstract spiritual ideas, but he's actually invested in this world right now. He's taking it somewhere. He's got history headed somewhere. And see, the reason I'm stressing this is there's a critique of of Christianity that goes like this. Christians are so heavenly focused that they're no earthly good. Have you ever heard that before? Okay, good. Christians are so heavenly focused that they're no earthly good. And, and the critique, the, what, what that's getting at, is that Christians are just so concerned about getting souls into heaven that they're, they're kind of useless when it comes to the real problems in the real world right now. That's the critique. But you see how this text completely flips that? How what this text is talking about, that if our future really is a new heavens and a new earth, that God is really going to redeem the best parts of this creation, then this world matters then how we engage this creation matters because it matters to God. Now, of course, first and foremost, we do want all people to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus. All right, no doubt about that. That's number one. But you see how this text has massive implications for how we approach social concerns, for how we approach the environment, for how we approach the arts, for how you approach your work, The list could go on and on and on. If this is where God's taking us, if this is the future we're headed towards, then it leads us to live intentional lives right now. Uh, In his book, What Are People For?, the great American writer, uh, Wendell Berry, uh, puts it like this. The subject of Christianity and ecology, uh, that's his area of focus, but we could add society, culture, the arts, any list of things, uh, is endlessly, perhaps infinitely fascinating. It is fascinating theologically and artistically because of our never-to-be-satisfied curiosity about the relation between a made thing and its maker. It is fascinating practically because we are unrelentingly required to honor in all things the relation between the world and its maker. And because that requirement implies another equally unrelenting, that we ourselves as makers should always honor that greater making. So what's he saying? What Wendell Berry is saying here is that if, if we're to understand God as the maker of all things, and if we're to understand that he's got big plans for all things, then that's going to shape how we engage his creation. That's going to shape how we engage his world. Uh, think about it like this. So this past Thursday, uh, our director of worship arts, Tanner, and I uh, entered a, a deeper level of friendship uh, that, that we hadn't before, and uh, we got lunch together at In-N-Out. Uh, and so we, you know... Sacred bond of double-double animal style. And, and so we, we, uh, we sat in my car and we ate it, but then we went to an even deeper level. Uh, and I introduced Tanner. I had him listen to the greatest hits album of the most. 
say, who's the most? Detroit punk rock legends, a band that I was in for eight years. Uh, and so, so it was the band that I was in throughout high school and college. I had Tanner uh, listen to them. Uh, and, and so this was for the better part of a decade, this band was what I threw everything I had at. Like, this is what I was all about. This is my life was bent on that. It was, was everything for these eight years. I was just all about us doing this. And so for me to share this with Tanner was actually a big deal. It was something I created, something I'd made. It was a big deal for me to share it with him. Now, there's a reason I'm a pastor and not a rock star, right? Like, I, I know my music's not that great. Like, I know what we made back then isn't amazing. It's not blowing anyone away. But it still came from me, right? And I still care about it. And one day I want to show it to my grandkids. I want to show it to my kids when Titus is old enough. And, and I want them to check it out. I still, still care about it. And Tanner's a musician, so he gets that. And so when he listened, even though the music's not his style, even though as a musician he knew what the flaws were, okay, he knew full well he's recorded before he knows how it works, as he listened to it, he didn't run it down. He didn't mock it. He didn't say, Gabe, man, you made a bunch of garbage. He didn't do that. He listened to it, and he admired the parts that he could appreciate. He admired the parts he could appreciate. Why? Because he was in the presence of its maker. In the same way, if God, the creator of all things, has a great plan for his work, is taking it somewhere, then we as Christians, as those who live with an awareness of his presence, should engage his work with great intentionality. Should engage his creation with great intentionality. Why? Because we're in the presence of the maker. And you say, okay, Gabe, fine, fine, fine. I'll, I'm tracking with you, engage God's world with great intentionality, but like, what does that look like? What are you talking about? What does that actually look like? I don't know, okay? I don't know. But think of it this way. Uh, St. Peter's Basilica, I think I got a picture of it. I can't remember if I did that. No! Oh! All right, well, too bad. It's big, it's big. All right, you know what it looks like. Uh, St. Peter's Basilica, this, this big, majestic building, uh, took 120 years to build. 120 years to build it. Now, can you imagine the amount of people it took to do that? Laborers and artists and stonemasons and a bunch of other jobs that I don't even know what they do, but, but 120 years. And you think about that, people that worked on that, many of them who worked on it never got to see it complete. They never got to see it complete. They just worked on their part, but they never got to see it done. And I'd even argue that most of them didn't know what it was ultimately going to look like. They had no idea what they were actually working towards, what it was looking for. You know, they just showed up to work someday, and some guy said, hey, here's a rock. Make it look like that rock over there. It's going to be a part of this build, big building. 120 years from now, it'll be all done. You just get to work. And so you get to work, and you just chisel away on your stone. Chisel away on your rock, knowing that it's going to be towards some ultimate purpose, some ultimate ends. You're not sure what everyone else is doing. You're not sure exactly where this piece is going to fit, but you know it's part of an ultimate end. See, the same is true of us. Hey, it's up. There it is. Thanks, Miner. Uh, that, that as, as we think of the new heavens and the new earth, that God is invested in his creation, that he's building towards this great future, and he's given each of us a rock to chisel away at. Now, what that is for you, I don't really know. What that looks like for you, I don't know, but I know that your work, and I use that term generally, is connected to his ultimate work in the new heavens and the new earth. It's tied up together. It's bound together. And see, this is why in the next few verses, as Isaiah describes what the new heavens and the new earth look like, he describes how similar it is to life right now. Look with me at verses 21 through 23. 
They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be. And my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. For they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. So what's this text do? What does Isaiah do here? He just describes the basic parts of life. But he says that none of the bad stuff that normally comes with it will be there. That in the new heavens and the new earth, he says, hey, you build a house, it's not going to burn down, it's not going to get flooded, you're not going to get in trouble for coding violations. You're just going to live in it. It's going to be awesome. He says, hey, you plant a vineyard, you plant some fruit trees, don't worry about the bugs, don't worry about someone stealing your food, you just eat it and enjoy it, it's going to be good. And he says, hey, you, you work and you're going to work really hard, you're going to be able to actually enjoy the production of your hands. It's not just going to go to someone else, you're not just going to work all day, fall asleep, only to wake up and work all day the next day. You're going to be able to enjoy the fruits of your labor. He says, oh, you're going to have, you have kids? Great, they're not going to be born just to suffer. They're not going to live just so you can watch them suffer. And they're going to be blessed by the Lord and your grandkids too. See, he paints this picture of the basic parts of life being magnified, being really great. That God's going to make all things new. That's going to be better than what we could imagine. And so because of this incredible hope for the future, the rock you've been given to chisel right now matters. Whatever that is, it's, it's tied up somehow in God's ultimate future. And so what does that look like for you? What's the, the rock you've been given? What is that that you're meant to chisel away, and how are you doing with that? Some of you say, okay, Gabe, like, this is a, a nice rosy picture you've created about the new heavens and the new earth. Very good. Uh, it's a little different for me. I don't know that I've heard you say this before. Uh, so how do you know that this is what God's about? How do you know that this is where God's headed? How do you know this picture Isaiah has painted is really where God's taking us? I can actually answer that. It's easy. I know it because it's already started. It's already started. That The, the new heavens and the new earth, they're not fully here yet, of course. The world's still a mess. All that's still going on. But they've started. They've begun. Look with me at verse 24. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. All right, so in this text, God says real simply, in the new heavens and the new earth, when people call, I will answer. And when they speak, I'm going to hear. You know who said pretty much exactly that? Jesus. Jesus did several times, but in particular, Matthew 7, 8, he says, for everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Jesus says, when, when my people call, when they talk, I'm there, I'm listening, I'm hearing. He says, when they want to talk to God, they're going to hear, he's going to hear, he's going to know what's going on in their lives. And see, and Jesus was able to say that because he knew he was the beginning of this. He's the beginning of Isaiah 65. He's the beginning of the new heavens and the new earth. That he's the bridge that between the brokenness and destruction we see around us now, he's the bridge that gets us into that glorious future that God has in store for us. First Timothy puts it like this, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, man Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who brings about this new reality. And see, he's the only one who could do it because Jesus is the one who entered into this world, and he's 100% fully God. 
100% fully God, but also 100% fully human. Flesh and bones. His heart beat like yours does. He breathed like you do. He walked on two feet like you do. He got to walk on water, you don't, okay? Otherwise, got to do that. he walked the, the very real streets of first century Palestine in the very real material world. And as he did that, he launched this glorious new creation right here in the midst of the old one. And he did that through the power of his death and his resurrection. And Isaiah actually points to that in the last verse of our text. Look at it with me, verse 25. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. And dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountains, says the Lord. So I had bolded there, and dust shall be the serpent's food. Uh, because the, the word that Isaiah uses for serpent, there's the exact same word that's used for, to describe the devil in Genesis chapter 3 when humanity falls into sin. Nakash. That's the serpent. And so Isaiah says, hey, when, when the devil's crushed, when the enemy is defeated, that's when you know this stuff's taken off. That's when you know new heavens, new earth are starting to happen. And see, this is what happened with Jesus' death and resurrection. That's exactly what Jesus did. See, I don't know if you ever noticed it. If, if you read um, the Gospels and if you, if you read especially towards uh, the end of Jesus' life when he's going to the cross, there's this theme of, of creation and new creation just sort of bubbling up all over. Like, for example, it's, it's not an accident that Jesus completed his work on the cross on Friday, which is the sixth day of creation, right? First day of the week is Sunday. Sixth day of creation, he finishes his work and he cries out, it is finished. And then on Saturday, he goes in the tomb and he rests on the Sabbath. See, but then on Sunday, the first day of a new week, the first day of a new creation, Jesus rises up. And he's victorious over death and the grave and he ushers in the new creation in which those who die will live and those who live never die. And so the implications of that reality, the implications of Jesus' resurrection are huge. They're huge. I love the way N.T. Wright puts it. The message of the resurrection is that this world matters. That the injustices and pains of this present world must now be addressed with the news that healing, justice, and love have won. If Easter means Jesus Christ is only raised in a spiritual sense, then it is only about me and finding a new dimension in my spiritual life. But if Jesus Christ is truly risen from the dead, Christianity becomes good news for the whole world. News which warms our hearts precisely because it isn't just about warming hearts. Easter means that in a world where injustice, violence, and degradation are endemic, God is not prepared to tolerate such things. And that we will work and plan with all the energy of God to implement the victory of Jesus over them all. Take away Easter and Karl Marx was probably right to accuse Christianity of ignoring the problems of the material world. Take it away and Freud was probably right to say Christianity is wish fulfillment. Take it away and Nietzsche probably was right to say it was for wimps. But the reality is we can't take it away. Because it's true. Because it happened. Because Jesus rose from the grave because he launched something new right here in the midst of the old. 
And the good news is that the reality of God's new creation is launched in his resurrection and that you're invited to be a part of it. That because of what Jesus did, he says to you, wherever you are, wherever you're from, whatever you've done, because of Jesus' death for you on the cross, God looks at you and he says, hey, I want you to be a part of this. You're invited. Here's your stone. Start chiseling. So what's that look like for you? Uh, so I was working at a, a church in Minnesota, and uh, I would visit this, this elderly lady, um, Arlene, once a month. And uh, she's really sweet. And I actually started visiting her because I originally visited her mom, who, uh, who died at 102. And, uh, and so you can figure out how old her daughter is. And so um, after her mom passed away, Arlene asked if, I, if I'd continue to meet with her. And so whenever I did, uh, her and I would talk, and, and we'd talk about... Uh, what happens after death. She was just very curious about that. She said, what's, what, what goes on? And then I talk about the new heavens and the new earth. And I remember even reading Isaiah 65 with her and being like, yeah, this is kind of what it looks like. And she said, okay, well, that's really nice. She says, but, but like, what are we going to do there? Like, what, what's, what's it actually going to look like? And, and I said, I, I don't know exactly, Arlene. Like, I don't know exactly, but I do know that it seems scripturally that what we do between when we're there and where we're at right now, that it's all kind of tied together as part of something bigger. And Arlene would say, well, that's, that's nice. She'd say, I know what I want to do there. I said, well, what do you want to do there, Arlene? And she said, I want to sit in the garden, and I just want to read books to children all day for eternity. That's what I want to do. Sit in the garden, read books to children for eternity. I thought, well, you know, I, I hope you're able to do that. And she said, but, you know, since I'm not there yet, maybe what I'll do right now is, is I'll go to the nursing home where my mother was, and I'll read books to the people that are living there right now. I think it'll be good practice for me. You see, there's intentionality there. She's got her stone. She's chiseling away at it. That's a beautiful thing. See, because of Jesus' death and resurrection, God invites you to engage this life with deep intentionality. To engage this world with deep intentionality. Won't you say yes to that invitation? Won't you say yes? Won't you figure out what that stone is and start chiseling away at it? Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word that describes things that we can't imagine. It gives us glimpses of things that we would never think of. God, you are bigger and wiser and are working things in ways we can't fathom. God, I pray for my friends as they think about this, as they look at your word, as they think about the, the world that you're working towards, that you'd show them what uh, their stones are, what it is that they're to be chiseling away at. God, guide them. Show them what you'd have them see. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at axechurchleander.com.